I need a venti, sugar-free, vanilla, soy latte, please. Anything else for you? I think that's going to do it. Well, 40 will be in the window. Thanks. Thank you. All right, how are you doing today? Not too bad. How much was that? $4.40. Four forty. That sounds right. There you hey, go. you have a great day. Yep. Thanks a lot. Oh, that's good. I'm not sure it's worth $5, but it was good. You know, one of the things I love about going to Starbucks is meeting people I've never met before. The way all the chairs are positioned inside the restaurant. When you go in, sometimes you find yourself seated across with somebody you've never seen before. And it's kind of cool to meet people and talk to them and just find out what's going on in their lives. You know, Jesus was on our earth 2,000 years ago. The thing about him was that he was always meeting people, strangers oftentimes, but he would meet them and talk to them. And most of all, he would change their lives. On March 19th, we're starting a brand new series here at Messiah. It's called Coffee with the Perfect Stranger. It's all about Jesus meeting people and changing lives. You know, I've always had a belief that if you took the people in the Bible to the mall and dressed them up like we're dressed up, and they'd look like us. And what we're gonna be doing in this series, we're gonna look at four people that Jesus met while he was on the earth, and we're gonna be putting them in a modern setting and discussing what their lives were like and seeing how Jesus changed them. So I wanna encourage you to be part of all four of these services. There'll be dramas, great worship, and then messages that are life-changing. Best of all, if you know somebody who needs to know Jesus, I want to encourage you to invite them to Messiah for these messages. You know, it's more than just inviting them to, a, to some kind of church. We're inviting them to our house to meet Jesus. And I guarantee you this, two things. If you'll invite your friends to be part of these services, we can promise them a hot cup of coffee and an encounter with the only perfect person who ever lived. You know, Jesus is still meeting people and he's changing lives. I see the church there. I better get back in time to go to work. Well, that was quick, wasn't it? If you have your Bibles open this morning to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16. I'm going to read a story this morning from the life of Jesus that uh, most pastors will never preach on. In fact, this is the strangest story Jesus ever told. And the reason why a lot of preachers won't preach from this story is it almost appears like Jesus is commending somebody for doing wrong. <clears throat> and the reason why a lot of pastors won't preach on that is that People do enough wrong in the church already without, without it looking like Jesus is commending something that's wrong. But it's, it's a shame that we overlook this story because it's so important to us in the way we live our lives. So this morning, buckle your seatbelts for the strangest story Jesus ever told. Our sermon is entitled this morning, You Can Take It With You. Luke 16, verse 1. Jesus told his disciples... There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. 
The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. Manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. That should make a friend. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? Thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill, make it 800. The master commended, look at that, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Who are the people of the light? Those are followers of Jesus. I tell you, here's Jesus talking now. This is not the manager talking anymore. This is Jesus. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it, that's the money, is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, Jesus is talking about money here, and that's not uncommon because Jesus talked a lot about money. He told 38 parables. 16 of the 38 parables are about money. There are 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, but over 2,000 verses on money. And so Jesus is going to talk to us about the way we use our financial resource. That's a very sensitive subject, and I think Jesus talked about it because it is such a very sensitive subject because nothing, nothing communicates what you're about better than the way you use your financial resources. Now, this is what Jesus is saying when he talks about us. Think about the story for a moment, and I know you read it, and I'm not insulting your intelligence by recapitulating what you just read with me a moment ago, but just think about what Jesus is saying. Here's a guy, he's a steward, he's a manager, he works for a rich guy. He doesn't have a lot of money of his own, but he's a manager. He handles the money and the resources of a rich man. The only thing is, like, and we've watched this, you know, in a lot of the stories uh, you know, like Enron and, and other corporate misdoings, misdeeds, or we even hear it every once in a while on lower levels with people mishandling, you know, public funds or whatever. This guy acted dishonestly. He was stealing. He was using the master's money for his own resources, and he got caught. And the master said, that's it. You're going to lose your job. You can't be my manager anymore because you have been dishonest and you've been using my money for your stuff. And so this guy sits down and he takes stock of himself because now he's asking himself, where am I going to go? And, and he determines that what he's going to do is he's going to find a way to ingratiate himself with the people who owe his master money so that when he loses his job, he's going to be able to have friends that he can live with. And he does. He begins to go to each one of his manager's uh, debtors, or to, his owner, to the owner's debtors, and he says, look, I'm the guy in charge of the books. What I say you owe, you owe. <laughs> he knew in his heart he wasn't going to have that job much longer, but he had it that day, and he said, from now on, you only owe half of what you used to owe, or you only owe 75% of what you used to owe, and no doubt that must have made those people feel real good, real dishonest. But the weird thing was, the owner, when he found out what his manager did, he patted him on the back, not commending his honesty, because what he did was more evil, but at least he commended his shrewdness. 
He didn't say you're a good guy, you get your job back. No, you're still fired. But at least the manager had to grudgingly shake his head and say, well, that was pretty smart. Now, here's what Jesus is saying in this story. Do you see why a lot of pastors stay away from this story and why they won't preach from it? But here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying out in the, out in the world where people don't follow Jesus, people may not be good, but they're smart. Jesus is saying sometimes in the church, you know, compared to the world, we may be good, but we're not smart. And so what Jesus is saying to us is we need to smarten up. That's, what my mother, that's, that's probably not a correct verb, is it? My mother used to say that to me, smarten up. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying to the church, and listen, you know, I mean, I, I try not to be like this, but sometimes nothing can be more clueless than Christians. I don't know what it is. I think it's perhaps the fact that because we believe the Bible, we think we know everything sometimes. And I'm not talking about all of us, but that just happens sometimes within a church, and we fail to be strategic. In the last two years, we've been talking about how we as a ministry can strategically reach those people who don't know Jesus Christ, and yet sometimes the people who pull back against that the most are the people who should be maturing Christ. Clueless. And that's what Jesus is saying about me sometimes, that I'm clueless in the way I handle my money. So he said, smarten up. Now, there are four things that you and I need to see here in this story uh, about this guy that relates to us. And here's the first one in that, that all of us need to look at. First, think about this guy in our story. His current economic situation was about to change. His current economic situation was about to change. He had become accustomed to a standard of living. He was living in a rich man's home. He was eating at the table. You know, he was wearing nice clothes. If you'll allow me the anachronism, he was driving a nice car. Might not have been a Ferrari, but you know, it, you know, he was, he was just driving nice. He, he was living the good life. But now his situation was about to change. And he's very graphic in what he said about himself. He said, I, I, I don't have the strength to dig. He was a white-collar worker. He didn't have any calluses on his hand. He was not going to be able to, you know, go down and do a, get a job plumbing. He wasn't going to be able to get a job laying brick. You know, he just was not physically in shape to do manual labor. But the only thing he knew was being a, a manager, and he certainly wasn't going to get a reference from his previous employer. When you're dishonest, there's no way to take that and leverage that into another, another accounting position. And so he said, i got to do something here. His current economic situation was about to change. Some of you have lived through that with the loss of a job. Or maybe it works the other way around. Maybe your current economic situation changed for the better. But that's what this guy was experiencing. His current economic situation, the, his, his, the, way he, the money he got, his paycheck, his, you know, his standard of living, all of that was about to change. Can I say that to all of us today? Your current economic situation is about to change. Something's going to happen in your life over the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, 60 years. Something's going to happen that is going to change your economic situation. And that's true for 100% of us. Literature tells the story of a man who came upon a newspaper. And when he saw the stories in the newspaper, it kind of surprised him because he realized that none of the events he was reading about had happened yet. He looked up at the date at the top of the newspaper, and sure enough, the newspaper was for a day six months in advance. It was one of those Rod Serling, Twilight Zone 
stories for those of you old-timers like me. And so he thought to himself, wow, this is great, you know? He looked at some of the scores in the sports section. He thought he could make a few well-placed bets on underdogs and clean up. Then he turned to the business section, and he saw the stocks, you know, and he looked at where the stocks were today and where they'd be in six months, and he said to himself, you know what, I can clean up on the stock market. And he was congratulating himself on all the money he was going to make until he turned to the obituary section, and he saw his name. Now, that's, that's fiction. But let's be real for a moment. Death is going to change everything. You, you say, well, Mark, I got a great job, and, and, I, and I got this plan. I got a financial plan for my life. Praise God, you need one. I'm for it. You know, it's wonderful to know strategically what you want to do with your money. And it's great to have a good career. It's fine. It's a fine thing to have a nice home and cars and all that kind of stuff. But I want you to know that when you die, it's all going back to zeros. Your odometer resets the moment you die. It's all going back to zeros. Your current economic situation is going to change. Many, many years ago, I think this has been almost 20 years ago, at the old location, I got a phone call one day from a lady. I've been trying to get her and her husband to come to church, but they just, you know, never really were interested. They have family members who were part of Messiah, but, you know, I tried to reach them, and they just wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't be responsive. But one day, I was surprised. I got a phone call from this lady. She said, would you come out to our house and talk to us? And I was excited because I thought maybe, just maybe, they were going to be open to... to following Jesus. When I got out to their home, I sat down, and she, and I looked at her, her body language and her husband. They were angry. And I thought to myself, what did I do to these people? I mean, first of all, I really had never talked to them all that much. They invited me to their home, and they're angry. And finally, it just sort of poured out in a torrent as the lady told me the story. She said, all our lives, we've worked hard. She said, my husband and I, we have, we have worked seven days a week to get ahead so that we could retire. And she pointed outside of the driveway where there was a large motor coach out there. And she said, we were going to retire and travel and see the country. That was our plan. But she had just come back that morning from the doctor. And he had told her that she had a terminal illness that would claim her life within six months. And it did. And she said, I am angry at God for doing this to me. Well, God didn't do anything to her. That's just life. You know, when you die, it all goes back to zeros. And if you're living for this life, trust me, you're going to be disappointed. See, here's the thing, and, and, I, and I don't think, I don't think this, this, this is as big of a challenge for any people in the world as much as it is for Americans. Because we have so much. I mean, we're, we're so rich. See, I, I think it's going to be a jolt for the average American to understand that at death, listen to me, Life goes on, but money doesn't. Are you hearing me this morning? When you die, you're going on. You're going to keep on going. But the money that you have stops. That's like our man in our story. His money was going to stop, his paycheck was going to stop, but his life was going to go on. And he wasn't good, and he wasn't honest, and he wasn't nice, but he was smart. And he realized that when his money stopped, his life was going to go on. Now, here's what Jesus wants you to know. Listen, please. I, I've been thinking about this, and I don't know that I know how to say this, but I'm going to try. What Jesus is saying is it's time to stop being morbid about death and start being strategic. 
And I'm talking to some of you, you're 50 years old, and you haven't even begun to plan for your retirement yet, or what happens. You know, you're not strategic, and, and the world screams that at you. You can turn on CNBC, and they'll scream at you. You need to be prepared. And you read the newspapers, and you need to be repair, prepared for retirement. Why? Because, you know, you're going to stop getting a paycheck someday, but your life is going to go on. God is saying it's a lot bigger than that, because you're going to live 70, 80, 90 years down here, and then you're going to live forever. God is saying you need to stop being morbid about death and start being strategic. You know, I'm like you. I mean, death... Death kind of kind of weirds us out, doesn't it? I mean, I came in here, I, you know, we had the screen up here. I hadn't seen it installed yet. Now it's <clears throat> Saturday, and it was, or, you know, it was dark outside and dark inside the sanctuary, and I came in, turned on the lights, and there was a casket over there that Lance had had for Sunday night's message. If you weren't here Sunday night, you don't know what that was about. And I walked in, I thought, whoa, casket. I mean, that's not something you put in your living room just to show your friends. It's a conversation piece, right? I mean, death just sort of freaks us out. And God, God is saying, listen, don't let that happen to you because death is not the end. See, that's why, that's why it makes us feel weird. We look at that and we think, ooh, that's not natural. I, you know, people don't live anymore. They put them in a box, stick them in the ground. That's just the body. God is saying you're going to keep on living. It's time to stop being morbid about death. It's like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. Hmm. You know, it's like, I, and, I, and I'm that way too. I don't like it when my, you know, my insurance agent calls, you know, and, and wants to talk about life insurance. I try to do anything I can to keep from talking about that. But God is saying it's time to get strategic. So, first thing we see in our story, the man's economic situation was about to change. Number two, he wasn't using his own money. <laughs> Boy, is that the fact. And he, he, when he said, hey, take your bill, you know, if you owe $1,000 and he wasn't using dollars, but I'll use them. He, he, when he said, take your bill, it was $1,000, now write down 500 That wasn't his money. He was using the owner's money. Can I tell you right now that the money that you have is not yours? You're only holding it for a while. Now, let me tell you how much is yours. However much you're going to take with you into the next life, that's yours. The rest of it, we're just handling. I've told this crazy story for years, but I always tell it because I think maybe somebody's never heard it, and it's just the best I've ever heard to describe what our money is like. I heard a story about a, <clears throat> about, about a woman who was going to go into a little coffee shop and have a cup of coffee. And uh, when she walked in, she decided she'd get a bag of cookies and and sat down and read her magazine. So she bought her coffee, bought her cookies, and sat down. The only problem was the only place she could sit down was, you know, it's kind of like, like I've been talking about Starbucks. There was already, so, already somebody across from her. She asked if it was okay to sit down. The guy said, sure, absolutely, sit down. So she sat down, opened her magazine, started drinking her coffee, and after a few moments, she reached out onto the, onto the table to get one of the cookies. But before she could get one of the cookies, the man across from her, he got a cookie. Just really made her mad, you know? I mean, what's that guy think he's doing getting, getting her cookie? And, uh, but anyway, she glared at him, and he just smiled at her. <laughs> so she kept sipping her coffee, reading a book. A few moments later, she started to reach out to get a cookie, but before she could, same thing happened again. The guy reached out and got a cookie. Wow. You know, you, you know what that's like? You know, just temperature rising, reds coming up like this. Finally, she looked down, and there's only one cookie left on the table. And she reached out to get it, but again, I mean, the guy was quick. Before she could get the cookie, the guy across from her, he got the cookie. And she gave him a look that would freeze water. He just smiled, broke the cookie in half, handed her half, 
<laughs> Woo. You know what it's like when you've been pushed to the breaking point, and she was. She got up, she stomped away, walked over to pay for her coffee, and when she opened her purse, she saw her bag of cookies unopened. <laughs> the whole time she'd been eating that man's cookies. You know, and that's what, I, I know when you go to church and you hear a pastor talk about money, it's like, oh, I don't want to hear that. Listen to me. We've been eating God's cookies. Everything you have belongs to God. See, this guy, was, he, he was using money that did not belong to him. Now, there's a very powerful verse that I hope all of us will get. If, and if you're taking notes this morning, this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 30. The Bible says this, happiness or sadness or wealth should not keep anyone from doing God's work. Wow, what a great verse. You know, I can't do God's work today because I'm having too much fun, or I can't do God's work today because I'm just too unhappy, or I can't do God's work today because I've got to work and make money. And that's what God is saying. Happiness, sadness, or wealth should not keep anyone from doing God's work. Those in frequent contact with the things of this world should make good use of them without becoming attached to them. For this world and all it contains will pass away. Now here's what God is saying. Use money. Use it. Don't love it. Use it. There are two ways, there are two philosophies. I don't know that I'll ever say anything more profound than I'm about to say right now. There are two philosophies to live your life by. One is love money, use people. The other one is love people, use money. And you're, you and I are either living with one of, those, one of those two philosophies. It's love money, use people, or love people, use money. And God is saying, be strategic. Take the resources that you have, use them. You're not going to take them with you. It belonged to God anyway. Use them. Now, number three, got to hurry. The third thing that we learned from this story was this man found a way to leverage today's resources to change his future. By what he did, he was actually able to go on living successfully, even though he had lost his job. Now, think about that for a moment. Here's what Jesus is saying. You can actually take the resources that you have right now and find a way to convert them into benefits forever. Now, what could be more important, my situation for one week or my situation for 50 years? If I have to give up something for my situation in one week to have a better life for 50 years, that's a good investment. Now, one week compared to 50 years pales in comparison to 90 years compared to eternity. So Jesus is saying if you can find a way to take the resources that you have in this transitory life that's not going to last where you can't take things with you and find some way to use them forever, Jesus is saying it's a smart way to use your money. Randy Alcorn, in his wonderful book, The Treasure Principle, talks about this, and he gives a marvelous illustration. He says, suppose you found yourself in the last days of the Civil War, and you were in the South. You've got to find a way to, you know, keep living, buying things, and using things in the South, but here you are, and you've got a lot of Confederate money. He said, but you're in the last day of the Civil War, and you know it's about to end. He said, what would you do? Very smartly and wisely, he said, here's what you would do. You would convert most of that Confederate money to American currency and keep only enough to live comfortably in the South until everything changed. That is what Jesus is saying to you and me about our money. We are to use it, use what we need in this life. I mean, God cares about what you need, but he's saying find a way 
to leverage today's assets and use them for eternity. Listen, here's what Jesus said. I gave this to you last week. He said, but gather and heap up and store for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust nor worm consume and destroy and where thieves do not break through and steal. Okay, somebody can say, Mark, you've, you've got me. What, how, how do I take today's resources and find some way to leverage them so that I'll have benefits when I get to heaven. There's only one thing you can invest in today that will work and go to the next life. I, I'm, I, again, I've thought about this next statement carefully because I, I need to put an asterisk by this, okay? So let, let, me, let me say it and then I'll clarify the asterisk. There's only one thing you can see right now that's going to heaven. There's only one thing you can see right now that's going to last forever, and that's people. Now, here's where the asterisk is. The part you can see is not going. <laughs> the part you can see is the houses that we live in. That's not going. I'm almost 50. Praise God that's not going. But every person that you can see has an ever-dying soul. That is going to eternity. Everything else you can see. Take a look around right now in this beautiful building that you can see. It's all going to go to ashes someday. This world that you can see with all of its beauty, gone someday. The Bible talks about that in the book of, in the book of 1 Peter. It's going to happen. Everything you can see right now. First, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, The things which are seen are temporary. The things which are not seen are eternal. That's a fact. But when you invest in people, and when you, when you invest in people, you're investing in something that's going to go out of this life and go into the next life. That's what Jesus is saying. I mean, go back to the text for a moment. He is saying this. He said, make friends. Make friends for yourself. And then he said, they will welcome you into eternal living places. Okay, here's the deal. Friday night, Saturday, and next Sunday, all that we do as a church kind of comes to a halt, and we focus on world evangelism, good newsing the world. Six billion people on the planet, half of them have never heard about Jesus. Half of them do not know that there's good news. We got to find a way to make friends. We have to find a way to get the good news to them. That's what this is all about. That's why last Sunday and today, I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you. I know you're busy. I'm asking you to block off Friday evening, Saturday evening, and next Sunday morning and Sunday evening. You're going to meet missionaries. They'll come from all over the world to tell you about what God has called them to, to Africa, to Asia, South America. They're going to tell you about their willingness to go. And quite honestly, next Sunday morning, you're going to have an opportunity to invest. What we, what we do here at Messiah, the way we handle world evangelism and missions is one day a year we ask each person here to think about what God would have them to do on a weekly basis for the cause of missions. When you give here at Messiah, you can designate what you want to go to world evangelism. No man, no woman sets the budget, missions budget here at Messiah. You set it. And you can do it anonymously. You don't have to put your name on the card if you don't want to. Just between you and God. But we need to know what you want to promise on a weekly basis so that we can know how we can, how we can invest in people. And you have a chance. We call that faith promise. And last year, America, uh, Messiah gave right at a half million dollars. You did. You did. 
because you're making friends. You're making friends that are going to welcome you when you get to heaven. I know, I know that I lost some of you because I talk like that. I hope I didn't. I mean, I hope you're at least open to it. Again, like I say, nobody's going to come ask you for this. It could even be anonymous. I hope I didn't lose you. But I am saying this. How you use your resources is going to matter hugely someday. When you leave this life and go into the next life, it's going to make a big difference. And God is saying you can take it with you. You say, Mark, that's the craziest thing in the world. Man, I want to live in a nicer home. I want to drive a nicer car. I want to wear nicer clothes. I just don't have any room in my budget to give to help people learn about Jesus. Someday you'll regret that. You know, <clears throat> the way we look at, the life, at life right now is going to flip when we get to heaven. The things that people think are important today are not going to seem important today. You say, well, Mark, you know, I, I watch Larry King, and it's like people that are born-again Christians, man, they just kind of like get made fun of. You think Larry King's going to emcee heaven? Paradigm shift. At Messiah, especially getting close to mission conference, we're, we're kind of sad on a human level about something that's happened with one of our missionaries. I will never forget the first night I met Kyle Guyman. For many years, I... I, I was on the board of directors for a large missionary organization. <clears throat> and uh, I've got to tell you, what, 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 I had two meetings a year, and we would go, we would go over the, the, the organization's structure of the mission. But uh, it was a great mission organization, 1,200 missionaries. And my favorite part of our, of our board meetings was at the end of our board meetings, all the new candidates who were coming in for approval would present themselves to us, the board of directors, most of us were pastors of large churches. And each one of those candidates had to tell about how they accepted Christ and their call to ministry. And then we would approve them. And they would come in by classes, depending upon which continent they were going to. Now, I'm just going to tell you, you know, those missionaries, the moment they were approved, they began to raise funds for their, for their field. And the way they would do that, just like some are going to come in next week and present their works to us, they wanted to get into churches so they could tell people about where God had called them to. And so every time I would go to a board meeting, I, you know, I would get inundated by missionaries who had their calendars out, and they were coming to talk to me and saying, is it okay, can I come to Messiah? And that's just one of those things that I, I knew was going to happen. Every time I go to a board meeting, I mean, here come the missionaries with their calendars. A little over 10 years ago, I remember going into a board meeting and, and the African group was coming in and, and I remember this young man standing up. He was the most passionate young man I ever saw in my life in his mid-30s. He began to tell a story about how that he had survived cancer as a teenager and how that he went on to the University of Arkansas and earned a, a doctorate, a PhD in rocket science, basically. Professor, worked at NASA, worked in the nuclear weapons program. 
But there was a point at which Kyle said, God began to speak to my heart in a missions conference that I need to make my life count. And he walked away from all the things that you and I think are important. After earning a PhD in rocket science and getting to the top of his game with all the money and all the accolades and the publishing that goes with it, Kyle walked away and he said, God has called me to be a missionary to Uganda. And 10 years ago, 11 years ago, Uganda was a very scary place. I'll never forget the end of that meeting because usually the missionaries would rush up to me with their calendar. I rushed up to Kyle with my calendar. And I said, Kyle, I want you, to, you and Debbie to come to Messiah. And they did. And just a few years ago, Kyle preached our missions conference. And if you were here, you remember, there was, I don't think I've ever met a missionary with more passion. And Kyle was here in the United States just a short time ago and he got sick and he had to have surgery. And things didn't go well. And I got a call early one Monday mor one morning, rather, from the missionary organization and the voice on the other end said, Mark, we lost Kyle last night. Now, the world would say, what a waste. Here's a guy that earned a doctorate in rocket science, working for NASA, working on the nuclear weapons program, able to make command big six-figure income, who walks away from all that to go to Africa to start an orphanage and a school and a church. And by the way, when he went back, he wanted to go to the Sudan, which is the scariest place in the world. And somebody would say, well, what a fool to do that. Only in this life. As soon as I got that call, I thought about Kyle, and I thought, man, what's it going to be like when he walks into heaven and all those Ugandans, those children from the orphanages, when they run up and they throw their arms around him? That investment's going to be worth it. I'm asking you to entertain that thought, I'm asking you to think about what Jesus said. He said, it's not enough to be good. You need to be smart. Find a way to take today's assets and use them to make friends forever so that when you get to heaven, they're going to come and welcome you and thank you for getting the good news to them. May God bless you.